This Rarecast is made possible by Global Genes, a leading education and advocacy organization that serves and promotes the needs of patients and families touched by rare and genetic disease. Since 2009, Global Genes has been building awareness, developing patient-focused education and advocacy tools, and funding patient care programs and critical research. To learn more, go to globalgenes.org. I'm Daniel Levine, and this is Rarecast. Earlier this month, the U.S. Food and Drug Administration announced a comprehensive policy framework for the development and oversight of regenerative medicine products. The framework spells out how the FDA intends to review new products and protect patient safety in this emerging area that FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb called dynamic and complex with unique challenges. We spoke to Michael Werner, Executive Director of the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine, about the framework, whether it provides the clarity industry sought, and what it will mean for patients hoping to see safe and effective regenerative therapies reach them as quickly as possible. Michael, thanks for joining us. Pleasure to be here. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration recently issued its guidance for regenerative medicine. We're going to talk about that, what it means for the industry and patients, and whether there's more work that needs to be done at FDA. Can you begin with what is meant by regenerative medicine and how broadly the framework the, the FDA released applies? Sure. So, you know, the field of regenerative medicine really is thought to encompass a wide uh, range of innovative products, including cell therapies and gene therapies and therapeutic tissue engineering products human cell and tissue products, combinations uh, of those technologies. Uh, But what they really all have in common is they encourage the augmentation, repair, replacement, or even regeneration of various parts of the body where cells and tissues can be engineered to grow healthy functional uh, tissue uh, or organs to replace diseased ones. So new genes can be introduced into the body to combat disease, We can generate replacement cells for cells that have been lost for injury or disease. We can repair uh, tissue um, that has been damaged due to uh, disability, injury, or disease. So the medical uh, uh, benefits that can come from this technology are enormous, and it's really kind of a platform technology that has all of these different variations. But what it all has in common is that ability to, to repair cells, genes, and tissue, and in so doing, to address disease and disability at, at the molecular level. Uh, and that's why the field is so promising, because we really could see not just uh, transformative treatments, but potentially even cures. And the framework that the FDA released recently is intended to cover uh, many of the cell, gene, and tissue-based products that, that I'm talking about, 
really it builds on the existing FDA regulations that have already existed for the field, and it also implements sections of the 21st Century Cures Act, which was passed by Congress last December. There's been much said that the FDA needed to modernize its approach to regenerative therapies, that because they are different than other approaches regulated by FDA, it needed refinements and clarifications to its approach. What's different about regenerative medicine that this framework was needed? Sure. So, as I was mentioning before, this really is a maturing and rapidly developing field with tremendous promise. And these therapies, um, they're different from other products currently on the market or currently in development, really. They're different biologically uh, because of the, you know, the base of cells and base of genes and tissue. Their manufacturing processes are complicated and they're new and um, they are, companies are still sort of figuring out how to develop these products to scale so that they could be available to patients um, in, in commercial-sized doses. Um, and the clinical outcomes are different, and that's what I was referring to before. These are um, not just therapeutic, but they're potentially curative treatments, sometimes with just a single administration. So these are really very, very different than um, drugs that are on the market now, and they're even different than many of the biological drugs that are on the market now. Why does having this framework matter to industry? So there's really two main reasons. First, because of the newness and the scientific complexity involved, industry really needed clarity from the FDA about how the agency was going to regulate these products and which kinds of products would require regulatory approval and what the standard for regulatory approval would be. What would you need to show the agency in order to demonstrate safety and effectiveness to the agency's satisfaction so that you could get um, you could get your product on the market. And the agency has had regulations for some time, but as the field developed and as new innovations took place, what became clear was that the regulations needed to be modernized. They needed to be updated to account for all of these new innovations so that folks would understand how those regulations would be applied to their particular product. The second thing that's really important about what the FDA did is really an economic competitiveness issue. There are lots of other nations out there that have recognized the immense value of these products, and they were moving ahead and establishing special regulatory frameworks and special regulatory provisions for these therapies. So I'm talking about the UK, Japan, Canada, South Korea, as just examples of places that have done that. And so it became clear that our country could fall behind its economic competitors if it didn't take specific steps to um, support this field in this way. What does the framework actually do? So I think of it as doing really three very specific things, all of which are important. So the first thing it does, and the most important thing that it does, 
is that it protects patients because it maintains, if not reinforces, FDA's high safety and efficacy standards before a regenerative medicine product can reach the market. So it expressly prevents anyone from taking any kind of shortcuts in terms of developing a product that they want to sell as a regenerative medicine product, a stem cell product, a cell or gene therapy. So that's the first thing that happens. The FDA maintains its high standards for safety. The second thing is a little bit what we talked about before, is it provides the product developers with the necessary regulatory clarity they need and provide details and specific examples of how FDA's regulations are going to apply to particular kinds of products. And really when I would speak to uh, product developers, what they would say is, we want the agency to maintain its standards. We just want to be sure we know what those standards are and we know how these kinds of technologies will be viewed by the agency. And that's, and this, and that's really what this does. This framework goes a long way towards that. And then the third thing is the thing that's very specific to the 21st Century Cures Act, uh, which I mentioned was a bipartisan piece of legislation that passed the Congress in late 2016. And that legislation created something called a regenerative medicine advanced therapy designation. And for products that um, uh, achieve uh, that designation, uh, there's a whole series of uh, uh, criteria you have to meet, which we certainly have to talk about. Um, it's a whole set of criteria you have to meet in order to achieve this designation. But if you achieve this designation, um, you get access to FDA's existing programs for expedited review, like accelerated approval and things like that. And what this framework does is, first of all, it kind of reinforces that FDA um, is going to implement uh, aggressively this new program, but it also specifically says that um, gene therapies will be able to be eligible for the designation. And the class of that, again, it's about clarity of how a company will be regulated by FDA. So in this case, what FDA is saying is, if you're a cell therapy, if you're a gene therapy, you can be eligible for this designation. That will help products, new products get to patients more quickly. But importantly, it still makes sure that nobody can cut corners when proving a product is safe and effective. Overall, how, how good a job did the FDA do at providing the clarity that industry saw? They did a great job. They really are to be commended for the work that they've done. Um, obviously, I think a lot of people are still going over all of the all of the minutia, um, but um, this this clarity was something that. Um, a lot of people in the stakeholder community, the regulated industry, but also people in academia, elsewhere, that's what people were asking for. They were saying that we need FDA to make a statement about how uh, products are going to be regulated, and we want to know that that regulatory uh, pathway is predictable and is clear 
so that we can prepare our science in the appropriate way. So um, FDA uh, has done a great, great job here, and uh, they're really to be commended for how quickly they've been able to generate all of this um, information and how thoroughly they've provided it and how clearly they have um, provided it to the community. FDA Commissioner Scott Gottlieb has said the FDA needs to draw bright lines separating new treatments that are medical products subject to the agency's regulation from those therapies that are individualized by surgeons in such a way that they're not subject to FDA regulation. Did it achieve clarity on that point? It really did. And Dr. Gottlieb has been a real leader um, on this point. So he used the occasion of the launch of these of these documents of this framework to reiterate that the bad actors out there will not be tolerated. That there are many clinics here in the U.S. that are taking advantage of vulnerable patients, providing treatments that have not proven to be safe, have not proven to be effective, but they're sort of playing upon um, um, all of the successes of the regulated industry, the new the new gene therapies or cell therapies that have come to market, and they're taking advantage of patients. And he reinforced that FDA is going to crack down on those folks, and he's got, and he's specifically that the agency is differentiating those kinds of products and those kinds of approaches from the therapies that are undergoing FDA's rigorous review to ensure patient safety. So the first thing he did was he reiterated something, frankly, he said before more than once, which is, hey, there's a bright line between people who are following the rules and people who are trying to skirt the rules, and we're going to make sure that distinction is clear, and we're not going to let people get away with it. The second thing that this framework did, and this is a little bit more technical, is that um, one of the guidance that the agency published um, explained uh, one of its exemptions to the regulation for certain cell and tissue transplants. And those are situations where the harvest of the cell and tissue and the transplant is in the same surgical procedure. Okay, so it's a it's a very specific circumstance where a patient um, is is getting a cell or a, a tissue transplant, and it's done in a in the same surgical procedure, and the product, the cellular product, the tissue remains in its original form. Right, the FDA is basically saying, hey, that's not a cell therapy. Right? That's not a drug that we as the FDA need to regulate. That's a medical practice, right? That's a surgical procedure. That's a transplant. So by really clarifying the conditions under which those kinds of products, those kinds of situations are outside the scope of the, of the regulations, the agency has really done, um, has, has really clarified uh, uh, clarified the scenario so that we have the situation where, hey, we've got these bad actors who are trying to take advantage and they're not, they're selling products that are not reviewed, 
And now we also have these certain situations where under certain conditions, actually, the FDA doesn't think it does have jurisdiction to regulate. And we're going to be very clear about that. So really, when you take all of this together, the FDA has done a great job in drawing bright lines, separating, you know, treatments that are subject to the FDA's jurisdiction and therapies that are just individualized by surgeons. I want to take a little deeper dive on the regenerative medicine advanced therapy designation, which you touched on. You and I have discussed this before. For listeners, can you remind them what that is? Yeah, sure. So, as I mentioned, it was created by Congress and the FDA uh, last year by statute and um, signed uh, by, by President Obama. And basically... The purpose of the designation uh, and the and the um, the sort of regulatory shorthand for this is RMAT designation, R-M-A-T, RMAT designation. Um, and the purpose of it really was to provide this mechanism for innovative, safe, and effective regenerative medicine products to get to the market as soon as possible. And it basically does this by saying. If a product has shown a couple of things, has a couple of characteristics and, and meets a certain set of criteria, we are going to give that product a little uh, extra attention at the FDA. And basically what the product has to demonstrate is, first of all, that it's intended to treat a serious or life-threatening disease or condition. Okay, So it has to be, that's the first thing. It also has to show there has to be uh, preliminary clinical evidence that the drug we're talking about, this new therapy, has the potential to address unmet medical needs for that disease or condition, right? So in other words, we're talking about products that are treating something that's serious or life-threatening that has already demonstrated through early clinical trials, for example, that it has the potential to meet an unmet medical need. And if it does that in those narrow set of circumstances, the FDA can provide it with access to these existing expedited approval programs. So you know that FDA already has uh, these programs. They're accelerated approval or priority review or breakthrough therapy. Because there have been times in the past when the Congress and the agency and and the stakeholder community has recognized that there are certain products that are so significant, we really want to make sure that um, when they get proven to be safe and effective, they get out there as soon as possible to patients. And it's those programs that are now going to be available to these cell and gene therapy products, provided they meet those conditions that I mentioned. So if they meet those products, if they meet those conditions, what they get is the sponsor gets increased and early interactions with the agency. They might be eligible, as I mentioned, for products for programs like priority review and accelerated approval. Once the product is approved, the FDA could permit fulfillment of post-approval requirements under accelerated approval through, for example, patient registries or other sources of real-world evidence, like electronic health records. So 
The product still has to meet FDA's strict pre-market review standards for safety and efficacy. It's not a shortcut in terms of what the sponsor has to demonstrate in terms of clinical evidence of need and in terms of clinical evidence of safety and effectiveness. But what it does is it says, okay, but if you're a cell or a gene therapy and you can show that and you can show that you're for a serious or life-threatening disease, we're going to try to work with you so that this product can reach patients as soon as possible. So it's an incredibly significant development for the field, and it's going to mean that innovative cell and gene therapy products that have proven themselves to be safe and effective are going to reach patients as soon as possible. And, and it's going to mean that they're going to reach them more quickly than they otherwise would have. And that's significant. It would be significant in its own right. But it's especially significant here because, by definition, we're talking about products that treat serious and life-threatening diseases and for which there's an unmet medical need. There had been some questions about how the FDA would treat gene therapy under the designation. Did the framework resolve that? Yes, so the framework specifically clarified that gene therapies, whether they're ex vivo or in vivo, uh, will be eligible for the designation, uh, which, of course, as I was mentioning, that means that some of the newest and most innovative technologies being developed uh, will have access to these, to these programs. What questions remain? Are, are there things you, you still would like to see the FDA address regarding regenerative medicine therapies and how they'll be regulated? Yeah, I think it'll be, first of all, interesting to see how the FDA um, steps up its enforcement activity. So I mentioned that Dr. Gottlieb was very strong about this, and he has mentioned this before in his blogs and statements. And so it will be interesting to see the results of that and to see um, to see how how they go about doing that, cracking down on the on the clinics that are taking advantage of patients, um, and what the results will be. So that's that's I think one of the first things that'll be interesting to see. The other thing is that I, I talked about how manufacturing process for these products is complicated, and and um, folks are still kind of um, working through some of the issues because. Um, some of the processes haven't yet been uh, standardized because the field is so new. And so I think it'll be interesting to see how the FDA um, regulates some of the manufacturing processes and how standards for, reg for manufacturing that are able to pass regulatory muster with the FDA, how they're developed and what they look like and what kind of a role the FDA plays um, in, that, in the development of them. I know that the FDA is thinking about these issues, and certainly the stakeholder community is as well, uh, so I'm optimistic, but I think there's some work that still needs to be done on, on that issue. We've talked largely about this from the industry's point of view, but from a patient's point of view, what does this guidance do to advance protecting patients from the use of unsafe products? Yeah, so um, really you know, kind of, well, as we've been talking, I mean, first of all, the agency is um, committed to holding bad actors accountable. Second of all, 
the FDA has made it clear they're maintaining their gold standard for pre-market approval. Got to demonstrate safety and effectiveness. And, you know, you can't take a shortcut. You can't just get out to the market, you know, without that. And then third, uh, the win for patients is that since there will now be a more clear and predictable regulatory pathway, that means there'll be consistent regulatory enforcement. So that means that the products coming forward will conform to best practices uh, for safety and efficacy. So taken together, these guidance uh, are a clear win for patients. The other big concern patients have is getting access to needed therapies as quickly as possible. How will this guidance help get needed therapies to patients faster? Well, I think that um, if we're talking about cell and gene therapies for uh, serious illness and unmet medical needs, I think we're talking about the fact that they can get um, they can get the RMAT designation. So that means that the sponsor can access the expedited approval pathways like priority review, accelerated approval at FDA, and those have uh, over the years demonstrated that. Um, they help products get to the market more quickly. And then even if for, for products that don't meet those criteria and therefore aren't eligible for the RMAT designation, again, I think just the clarity in the regulatory process means that sponsors can focus on what they have to do to demonstrate safety and effectiveness, and, 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 and that means they can eliminate any delays that would come from you know, confusion or guesswork because they're not sure what they need to do to comply with the FDA rule. So even the, the clarity in and of itself um, is going to speed things along because now everybody can knows what they have to do and they can focus on getting it done. Michael Werner, Executive Director for the Alliance for Regenerative Medicine. Michael, thanks as always. Always a pleasure, Danny. Thanks for listening. For more information about rare disease and to connect to the rare disease community, go to globalgenes.org. To keep up on the latest news and trends affecting the rare disease community, be sure to visit raredaily.org. You can subscribe to the Rarecast RSS feed through raredaily.org or through SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast manager. The Rarecast is produced for Global Genes by the Levine Media Group. You can also find our podcast, The BioReport, on these popular podcast sites. Our theme music is composed by Jonah Levine and performed by the Jonah Levine Collective. We'd love to hear from you. Drop us a note at danny at levinemediagroup.com.